was who died to set me free. It tells me of his precious blood, the sinner's perfect plea. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Because he first loved me. It tells me what my Father has in store for every day. And though I tread a darksome path, He'll sunshine all the way. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Because he first loved me. It tells of one whose loving heart can feel my deepest woe. To any sorrow bears a part that none can bear below. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Because he first loved me. Well, praise God. It's good to be in church with you this morning. And we've come to the time of prayer requests and offering. Have you got any prayer requests this morning? Anybody, something you need prayed about? I know in the room this big, this many people, somebody's got some burdens. Yes, Mom. Amen. Yep, we need to pray for her. Yes, somebody else. You got two? We had a man that was on the prayer list. He had cancer about a year, and he passed away. Okay. He said, but he knew where he was going. He knew one of God's children. Right. He had to leave his wife behind, but pray for the um, Rose family. Okay, okay. His son, Kenny Rose. So his name was Kenneth Rose. And then we had Madeline mm-hmm. on college one day, and she got yeah. Oh, I know. I didn't ask her last name. His name is Jimmy. Uh-huh. Yeah. And she had brain cancer and lung cancer. Oh, mercy. She's yeah. diagnosed about a year ago. I had the sweetest. Thank you. It was just wonderful to talk to. Right. Huh? You know, okay, okay. All right. All right. Well, let's lift him up in prayer. We got any, Everybody won't praise the Lord about just want to give God glory about something he's done in your life this week. This was the favorite old rich so like me, please. Amen. Amen. God's good. God's good. Um, anybody else? Well, I'm just going to take a minute to answer. Anybody else got nothing to say? I'm just going to praise the Lord a minute. Amen. I've been a, I've been a revival meeting all this week. I thank God for... I thank God for... Uh, for Brother Mark Wheeler and the people at Calvary uh, Baptist Temple in Mount Vernon uh, out at the rodeo fairgrounds. Uh, they had a tent set up out there, and I went every night this week I, that that I couldn't go except for Wednesday when I was here. And uh, I seen God move out there. I seen God work. I seen God draw sinners to repentance. I seen people get saved. 
I just I tell you what, it, it was good. I was in the presence of the Lord, and God God spoke to me and dealt with me, and wrung me out like a wash rag out there Friday night, and I'm thankful for it. And I feel I feel blessed coming in here Sunday morning. I'm ready to preach. I'm ready. To, y'all better look out. I'm ready to go. Amen. So anyway, we're gonna meet with the Lord this morning. Amen. Stephen, I don't know what you've done to get all by yourself over there, but it's a shame somebody won't sit with you. That's all I'm going to say. Shame on nobody sit with Stephen, but that's all I'm going to say. All right. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and let's ask God to meet with us this morning. And you give, as the Lord bless you, and you're able to give this morning when we pass your plate. Let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray for the Amen. You can be seated. Thou hast borne all for me. 
Man. 
Being defamed, we entreat. We are made as the filth of the world and are the off-scouring of all things unto this day. I wrought not these to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you. For though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have you not many fathers. For in Jesus Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Wherefore, I beseech you, be ye followers of me. <coughs> For this cause have I sent unto you Timotheus, who is my beloved son, and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways which are in Christ, which be in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. Now some are puffed up as though I would not come to you, but I will come to you shortly, if the Lord will, and will know not the speech of them that are puffed up, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. What will ye? Shall I come unto you with a rod, or in love, and in the spirit of meekness? Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, I need you this morning like I always need you, but Father, I especially need you right now. Father, I pray you put your hand on me, and Lord, on me, Lord, and use me this morning for Christ's sake. Breathe on me, Spirit of God. Please, fill me with the Spirit of God. I need the power today, the unction, Lord, to preach. Lord, I know that I'm yours and I'm in your hand, and Lord, I know I can't do a thing without you. I'm praying this morning. Lord, please, fill me from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. Give me exactly what the people need to hear this morning. Speak through me. Lord, speak to their hearts. Lord, deal with them and their and their own issues, Lord, that, I, that you know about. Father, I pray that you do work and meet every need. Uh, just deal directly with the with the uh, the problems in each individual person this morning, whether they be in our midst or whether they're listening in this morning. Father, regardless, Holy Spirit of God, you're able to reach into the hearts of men, women, boys, and girls and do do the business of God. And I pray you do just that this morning, Lord. Please uh, fill me and pour me out now, and I'll give you all the glory and the praise because I know it's all for Jesus' sake that we ask and do these things in Christ's name. We pray. Amen. Amen. And it's good to be with you this morning, amen. I want you to learn something today, so uh, give me your attention here for the next uh, 35 minutes or so, and, and I promise you I'm going to do my best to communicate these things to you. Um, again, I want to remind you of, again, we talked about the problem, okay? But I want to remind you of how Paul addressed them in chapter 3 and verse 1. I want you to rem remember how this church is. Paul said, and I, brethren, brethren meaning they're all saved, right? They're all brothers in Christ. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual. I, he said, I couldn't talk to you like people that have been saved for a while. I couldn't talk to you in a language where you can understand the things of God. He said, but as unto carnal, I had to talk to y'all like y'all are a bunch of unsaved worldly people that don't even know Jesus even as unto babes in Christ. When people first get saved, we don't expect them to know the deeper things of God. Matter of fact, we don't even expect them to know how to live. When when a baby is born and somebody brings them and says, how do we just have our baby? You don't expect that baby to know how to put on a pair of pants. Babies don't know how to put a spoon in his mouth. Babies don't know anything. And that's what Paul was saying. Y'all don't know anything. Y'all are carnal. Y'all just like the rest of the world. There's no difference between you and a man on the street who's bowed down to a statue somewhere and, and given all his time and money to a, to a temple full of, uh, of idols. There's no difference between y'all. Can I tell you what I'm talking about here? I want to explain this to you best I can. All right. 
During the day, Paul walked, walked around preaching Jesus Christ to everybody. It was very similar to the day when Jesus was walking around uh, preaching his message to everybody, as far as political. Y'all know who ruled the world at that time? Can somebody tell me? Who ruled the world during that time? Rome. Rome. And when in Rome, what? Do as the Romans do. But Paul was in a Greek society, but it was controlled by Rome. So people there had a Roman mindset, okay? Uh, They embraced the values of their Roman society. And the values of Roman society were that we divide over ethnicity. In other words, Jews and Gentiles don't really mesh, okay? Uh, they, they, they viewed differently. The Gentiles were heathens. The Gentiles worshipped idols. The Jews supposed to worship God, uh, but they, even they had, had uh, gotten way off from what they ought to be. But again, they divided over ethnicity. Y'all ain't like us, so we don't have anything to do with y'all. Okay? Uh, they divided over social rank. Uh, you know, people that had good sense didn't want to have anything to do with those who were foolish. Uh, you know, powerful people didn't want anything to do with weak and pov- people in poverty. They separated. The people that were born into noble families didn't have anything to do with common folks, uh, the low and despised folk. In other words, a very divided society. It's kind of like America, to be honest with you. You know why? Because America is a Roman culture. Did y'all know that? We live in a Roman culture in America. This is America is the revival of the Roman Empire. I don't know if y'all are familiar with that or not, but it truly is. Our government is set up similar to the Roman government. And, and the way we do things in America is similar to, to the way they did things in Rome. Uh, Roman culture uh, valued, uh, it valued uh, polished rhetoric, I mean like fancy speech, you know, somebody who could get up and talk fancy and really, really flowery words and impress people. They thought, boy, that guy can speak now. They, they, they would have loved Joel Osteen, is what I'm trying to say to you. They, they'd have loved people like him who, who could say everything just right but didn't say anything. Uh, you ever notice that? He don't say nothing. He just smiles and talks about you having your best life. And, and, and I was doing Bill Clinton then, wasn't I? But anyway, I can't tell the difference between the two of them, to be honest with you. Uh, but Roman culture viewed the message of Jesus as foolishness, okay? And, and, and I know we're in 1 Corinthians this morning, and we're going to go there, but I want to read you a few other places. In Romans chapter 12, dealing talking about Rome, and Rome, and Rome dealing with the church at Rome, Paul wrote this. He said to them who were un, in that same culture, he said, I beseech you, or I beg you, or I'm pleading with you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. He said, I'm begging you in light of all that God has done in giving you salvation and all that he's done with Jesus. He said that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. What does that mean? That means that I no longer run the show. That means I no longer call the shots. That means because I'm saved, because Jesus has bought me with his blood, like we talked about in Sunday school this morning, because he's paid such a high price for me, for my soul, because he went to Calvary and suffered my hell for me and suffered the shame of my sin for me and bore that so I wouldn't have to stand before a holy and righteous God and be cast into hell. Because he did that for me, Paul said, in light of all that, you ought to yield your life to him and say, God, do something with me. 
Use me for your glory. Yield you, present. That means to place yourself near the hand of God and say, God, here I am. People do it. I saw people do it at all through that revival meeting. Get on their face before God and God use my life. God do something with me. They're presenting themselves near the hand of God. He said that you he said that you may uh, he said, present your body a living sacrifice, and he said that it be holy and acceptable unto God. And then he goes on to say, which is your reasonable service. So if we don't Look here, if we get saved and we go on living our life the way we want to live it, doing it how we want, thinking how we want, acting how we want, we're being unreasonable with God. He didn't save you so you could live like the devil. He didn't save you so you could do whatever in the world you wanted to. He didn't save you so you had a free pass and just blow rooster tails of sin behind you for the rest of your life and, and, and then get to heaven and go, oh, well, I'm here now. No, that's not the way it's supposed to live. You don't blow it. You don't burn the candle of your life in, in, in the service of the devil and blow the smoke of God's face. You just don't do it that way. God will whoop your hide. I'm telling you right now. God will tear you up. No, he wants us to give it to him. And the next verse says, and be not conformed to this world. You see, the problem in Corinth was this church was conforming itself or was still conformed to this world. Be, that's a commandment, by the way, and be not conformed to this world. What does conformed mean? Well, the dictionary says that conformed means made to resemble. Made to resemble, reduced to a likeness of. God says, don't be like the world. So I'm not supposed to talk like the world. Well, the world doesn't care what it says. The world uses uses foul language like it ain't nothing. It just it just throws out like M&Ms, curse words. It don't, it don't, the world don't care. The world say what it wants to. I can't understand what. I used to love looking at my phone. I can't understand. Every video starts and I'm scared to death. There's going to be an F word in there. Scared to death. They're going to take God's name in vain. Like it ain't nothing. I don't want to hear that. Does that do? Uh, you, you say, well, what does that do? Does that hurt you? I don't like it. I heard it all my life. It don't mean I like it. My daddy was good at it, but I don't mean I like to hear it now. Uh, I don't want to be made to resemble this world. I want to come out of that world. I want to be separate from that. I want to be like we talk about Sunday school, a peculiar person for Jesus. I want people to say, it's what's different about him. He's different from the rest. I want people to say it about you too, because that's what God intends. All right? He said, be not conformed. Don't be reduced to the resemblance of this world, but be you transformed. Well, that's different than conformed. Be transformed. And the transform in the dictionary is changed in form or external appearance. So you're not what you were before. Metamorphosized, transmuted, renewed. That's completely changed. The Bible says if any man be in Christ, that means if you really got saved, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. That means they're dead, they're gone. Behold, all things have become new. That's what transformed means. And God says, that that's what's supposed to happen. We're not supposed to continue to be like the Roman culture around us. We're not supposed to just continue to fit in. No, we're supposed to be completely changed by the renewing of your mind, the Bible says. Renewed, it means a renovation, a complete change for the better. You know how that's supposed to take place? Well, God tells us. Uh, he tells us through the Word of God. Amen. The Bible talks about uh, the washing of the water by the word. When you read the Bible, it's like uh, the Bible washes you. You ever heard about being brainwashed? 
Well, the Bible wants to brainwash you. It wants to wash the garbage out of your head and put God's Word in there where the garbage used to be. Amen? Renewed. He said, for I say, through the grace given unto me, not my own opinion, but through the grace given unto me to every man that's among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. You know, y'all know, y'all know anybody like that that thought of themselves more highly than they ought to? I mean, they really think they're something. Right? I mean, I bet their clothes don't ever stink when they wear them. You know, they, 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 they don't, they, they, they're perfect. You know, everybody else is beneath them. I know people like that. I don't like to be around those type of people on purpose. But, but yeah, I know people like that. But God says you shouldn't be that way. But to think soberly, according as God had dealt to every man the measure of faith. Because everybody took the same, took same grace to get saved, every one of us. All right? And it goes on in that verse, and I know I haven't even got to my text, and I'm going to get there. He tells us in Romans 12, 9 and 10, he says that, that, that let love be without dissimulation. That means our love should be real, not fake. And he said abhor, which means to hate extremely, to loathe, detest, or abominate that which is evil. We ought to want to puke when we get around evil. That will make us sick. Cleave to that which is good. Adhere to it like bones adhere to flesh. That's the way we're supposed to hang on to the good in our life. And he said, be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another. God is telling us to love others as family. Well, that's why we call people in the church our brothers and sisters in Christ. Because we're family. We're to love one another. Be kindly affection. It's treating one another right. <clears throat> and this world is about struggle, y'all. It's about competition. It's about a desire to win. That's, what, that's all this world cares about. Like I said, America has a Roman spirit. We love competition in America. But do you know that's the opposite of what the Jewish culture taught? Do you know Jewish culture is not all about competition? And, and Paul came out of the Jewish culture. Christ was a Jew. I'm sorry, but, you know, that, that's kind of what we, we look back to because that, that's, what, that's God's chosen people. He called them out, and he taught them his ways. Amen. So we don't look to Rome and say, hey, what are we supposed to be as people? Let's look to the world, the heathen world. No, we're to look and see what God taught. Amen. What God's teaching us. Amen. God, listen to me. The, uh, the Jewish culture values relationships more than trophies and ribbons. It values conversation and getting along and relationship between people. God values relationships over competition. Don't you think? I mean, let's be honest. The Bible is not a book full of scores. Who won, is it? No. It's a book about people trying to get to know God and failing and getting back up and failing and getting back up and failing and getting back up and what God did in his plan of redemption. But and like I said, in this culture we live in today, in America, it's all about struggling and striving and, and trying to beat the other person to be better and get more. You know what Bible tells us in James 3.16, where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. That's why America's in such a mess, is because we're not trying to we're not trying to love people and take care of one another. We're trying to get more than one another and beat one another down. But we're going to find out we get in the next chapter all about that evil work that's going to happen. But let's get into this morning's, amen? Uh, This environment of pride and struggle for success is the environment that Paul brought the gospel into. And the Corinthian church was filled with competitive, envious people, and that's all they'd ever known. That's all they grew up in. And they saw themselves, look up here, they saw themselves as superior to the apostle Paul. 
even though he's the one who led them to Christ. They thought they were better than him. And Paul, Paul's funny. I like what Paul Hammer says. Paul responds to him with sarcasm. I love it. Listen, look at verse 10. He says, we are fools for Christ's sake, but ye are wise in Christ. We are weak, but ye are strong. Ye are honorable, but we are despised. Now, he was making a little bit of fun there when he said all that. Now, why did he say that we are fools for Christ's sake? Well, that's how they viewed him. He's saying how y'all view us and how you view yourself. But he, but they, the Corinthian church viewed Paul and, and, and Timothy and Apollos and, 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 and Peter as, as fools for Christ's sake. Now why, did he view, why did they view him that way? Well, because they're willing to give their lives for Jesus. They're willing to die for him. Paul spoke about, and we, last week we talked about it, he, about being appointed to death. I mean, they were sent to the Roman Colosseum uh, to be torn apart by animals or to have to, to fight another man for the, to the death. And even if you won, you still got to die because that's why you were in there. That's the thing. You might, you might kill the lion, but they're still going to run you through with a sword because you were appointed to death. And that, that, that's, that's true of all the early apostles with the exception of John. Every single one of them gave their life for the testimony of Christ. Every single one of them. John was boiled in oil. Boiled pot of oil. If you can imagine how horrific that would be. All of your, all of your nerve endings on fire. And, 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 and he survived. Boy, don't you know he was a scarred up mess when they put him out there on the Isle of Patmos and left him there to die? Through the centuries, millions and millions have followed their example and have given their lives for Jesus Christ. Fools for Christ's sake, they say. Today in Muslim countries, ministers are giving up their lives for Jesus Christ. In China, many Christians, they suffer death, imprisonment, or the confiscation of all their belongings for Jesus Christ. And the world looks at them and calls them fools. They consider it foolish to give up everything for Jesus Christ, to go to prison or to go to death for the sake of Jesus Christ. That's considered foolishness. You think about a man like uh, Jim Elliott who went to the Aka Indians, and they were known as killing, they were known for killing white people who tried to contact them, but yet he went and somebody wrote to him and told him, he said, you're a fool to go and do that. And there's a famous quote by him, if I can get it right. He said, he's no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Am I right on that? Yeah, he gave his life. You know, the Bible tells us if we we try to save our life, we'll lose it. But if we we lose our life for Christ's sake in the Gospels, we're going to reap blessings that last forever and ever and ever and ever. Praise God for those who don't see themselves as fools, who sacrifice, who give themselves to the work of God freely. But let me say something to you this morning. I want you to hear me. If you never do anything, you you say, well, I'm saved. Okay. But if you never do anything for Jesus, you never, unless you get puffed up and think, well, I'm at church, ain't I? This is not reasonable service. That's not what God said, going to church. I sang. That's not reasonable service. But I put a little money in the offering plate. That's still not reasonable service. No, we're to yield our life 
you haven't yielded your life to him, then it ain't reasonable. If you never do anything for Jesus, if you never tell anybody else that he died for their sins, if you never, it, listen, if you never give sacrificially, you say, what's sacrificially? That's when it hurts. You say, I'm supposed to do that? You better believe it. Did he give sacrificially for you? Did he give sacrificially for you? I'm going to say it again. Did he give sacrificially for you? Amen. Well, he expects you to do the very same thing back. Amen. If you never speak out against sin, if you just let it go on around you and you never say a word against it, guess what? You can be accepted by the world. The world will love you because you won't cause it a problem. Okay? And is that what you want? I hope not. It's very possible that your coworkers, schoolmates, and neighbors don't even know that you're a believer. Do you want to distance yourself from Jesus and kind of blend back in with the world? Well, it might cost you something to really love Jesus. Just going to tell you. It might cost you something. Paul makes a list of the things that he endured for Christ. Look at verse 11. He said, Unto this present hour we both hunger and thirst. We're having to, nobody's feeding us a buffet supper. But I want you to understand, preachers today, they can get very spoiled because churches are, are some of the churches that I've been to and some of the churches that, that, that I know others go visit, man, they, they take good care of preachers. I remember a church I belonged to years ago. They, they sent a, they sent a, uh, they sent a car, they sent a Lincoln Town car, and a driver took that preacher anywhere he wanted to go. They put him up in a nice hotel. They had a, a, a nice fruit basket or whatever in the room. I mean, they fed him, did everything. Man didn't have to do nothing but sleep and preach. That's all they had to do. I mean, listen, that's good taking good care of somebody. But you know what? The Apostle Paul didn't get that kind of treatment. He slept in jail a lot of times. He said, we're, both, we're hungry and thirsty right now. He's writing a letter to these people, and we're naked. He don't mean he ain't got any clothes on, but he ain't got no fine clothes on. What he's got on is threadbare. What he's got on has got holes in it. What he's got on ain't, ain't nothing you'd want to wear nowhere to get dressed up and impress nobody. He's not wearing fine clothes. We ain't got nothing to wear, he's saying, and we're buffeted. We've been beat up. It's very likely when he was beat up, somebody ripped his clothes. Very likely they took what he had on and left him with it, just his bare undergarments. Who knows? But he's saying here, he didn't have no good clothes to put on, and he's been beat up. He's been buffeted. And he said, and we ain't got nowhere to live. We have no certain dwelling place. I think about the fact that Jesus, the Son of Man, hath not where to lay his head. He wasn't trying to be above Jesus. He was right there with his Lord. He was out working for God, and he was dealing with the circumstances around him. But it did not deter him from his purpose, which God had given him. And he said in verse 12, and, and I labor, we labor, working with our own hands. Listen, in Acts 18, 3, the Bible said, because he was of the same craft, he abode with them, Priscilla and Aquila, and wrought or worked for their occupation. They were tent makers. So where he was at, he was sitting there, sitting there under a shade tree, uh, sewing cloth together, making tents to sell in order to be able to eat, in order to be able to take care of his needs. Because wasn't nobody taking care of them for him. He said, we work with our own hands. And notice what else it says. It says, being reviled, we bless, and persecuted, we suffer it. 
I want you to look at the attitude of the world toward him while he's out there suffering through all that. Here's the attitude of the world toward the preacher. He said he said he was reviled. Okay? So when he tried to preach Jesus, what did that mean? It means people turned around and cursed at him. They screamed obscenities and they cursed at him and get out of here. Get out of this place. Get out of here. Take your junk out of here. We don't want to hear your Jesus stuff. Get out of here, you blankety blank so and so. That's exactly the way the world treated him. Abusive, insulting, vile language. And he said when they did that, we said, God bless you. God bless you. The Lord Jesus bless you. They didn't turn around and say, how dare you say that to me, you blankety blank. Now listen, that's what your flesh says. Somebody has offended me. I think I will curse back. No. God says, hey, God doesn't want us to treat people that way. Bible says, listen to me. Before you say, well, why don't you talk to me that way? Remember what the Bible says. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. It's for God to get them. It ain't for you to get them. It ain't your job to get them. God will. And God will do it better than you ever could. And he might just save them. Said they hated us and they talked ugly to us. And when they did, we just said, God bless you. We're praying for you. God bless you. Do you know that's the way we're supposed to be today in 2023? You know, when you say that, people bristle and say, oh, I don't want nobody to talk to me that way. That's because you're full of pride. That's because, hey, listen to me, that, that, that's because, that's because, that's because you aren't humble. That's because, listen, that's because you forget how you used to be. He said, not only that, not only are we reviled, but we're persecuted, unjustly inflicted, particularly for religious opinions. Do you know, I mean, we're, we're, very, we're very fortunate we live in Texas. We're very fortunate that we live in Northeast Texas. We're very fortunate we're in Red River County. This is one of the most gospel-friendly counties in Texas. Did y'all know that? You go in certain other places in Texas, they put you in jail to stand out and preach on a form. Yeah, I tell you what, people down in Austin, Texas, they know. They find out. They go to jail for such as that. Just for preaching Jesus. You say, how is that possible? we got free speech in America. Oh, they come up with a way. They say, well, you violated this zoning ordinance or you were disturbing the peace or somebody reported you or somebody did They'll always come up with a reason to shut you up. I know plenty of preachers that have spent time behind bars for preaching the gospel in this day and time right now. You think it ain't happening, but it is. Paul said we went through all that and persecuted. Hey, he said, and we just, we got mad. We fought it, man. We lawyered up. We sued them. No, he said we suffered. We suffered. We just went ahead and we just went and when they, when they ran us off, we we just went and found another place. When they locked us up, we got out. We just went back to preaching. Verse thirteen: Being defamed, we entreat. Defame means slander. They said, hey, they down there, they down there talking all kinds of bad things against the government. Well, they can say what they want to say. They were lying. He said they they, they dishonored them. They, 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 they were injured by evil reports. But what do they, well, he said, we entreat. Y'all are trying to do everything you can to make us look bad, and we're trying to do everything we can to get you to come to Jesus. They didn't stop us from trying. He said, we're made as the filth of the world. The filth of the world. Now, let me explain this to you. 
We are made as the filth of the world. The word is, is pericarp, uh, peri, what that Greek word means. It's the price of redemption because the Greeks used to apply the term kathermata to victims who were sacrificed to make expiation, which basically, let me, let me put it to you like this. They take, a, they take the most vile criminal, okay, and they just, instead of executing him, they just hold him in a cell, and they feed him and take him. I mean, it, it costs money to keep him and, and you know, and, and, and not execute him. They had to feed him, take care of him and everything. But when something happened, like a famine hit the land or a great pestilence hit the land, they would take this guy and they would execute him. They would throw him into the sea to their sea god or they would burn him to their fire god or whatever. He was the sacrifice so that they would alleviate their false gods. That's, that's, what, that's the, the Greek view of this, of this word. But Paul uses it, and he says, because, again, this was the filthiest criminal that you could find. And that's the reason they sacrificed him. It's somebody nobody will miss. That's what they were saying. He's worthless and vile. And Paul said, that's the way we are to everybody. We're just like them. They'd rather get rid of us than us be around. But even so, even so, we still, we still keep going. He said, we are the off-scouring of all things. Unto this day. I try to figure out what off-scouring is. And what I come down to is when you sweep the floor in the house and you got that pile of hair and dirt and, and everything else that you swept up off the floor that you're about to sweep into that dust bin, that pile of stuff, he's false. That's what we are. That's the way people view us. Preachers are not popular. Let me tell you something. When God called me to preach, I didn't jump up and down and click my heels together and go, Hallelujah, I'm a preacher. God bless speaking to me. Well, I kind of did, but, but I realized it was going to be hard because people are not going to like you. Because you know what? You say things that make people uncomfortable, and people think you don't do a thing. You're the laziest man in town. Don't ever do a thing. Don't ever lift a finger. Don't ever do a thing. You, you, I mean, Paul, Paul was telling the truth. I mean, again, being a preacher, it, 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 ain't, it ain't easy. But he's telling them, look, that's the way we, that's the way our life is. And you look at us as though we are worthless and y'all got it all. I mean, we're nothing and y'all are everything. That's exactly how they were treating him. And Paul said, I write these things not to shame you. I'm not trying to write you and mock you. I'm, I'm trying to, to use this, this, this sarcasm to get the point across so you see it. He said, I, he said I'm not trying to, to shame you. I'm trying to warn you. As my beloved sons, listen, a dad that loves his kids will bring them when they're messing up and say, listen, I want to tell you, you need to stop this or it's going to hurt you, right? And that's Paul saying to them, listen, you're never going to grow as believers. You're going to continue to have trouble. Your church will never succeed unless you get past this. First Timothy 6, 3 through 6, Paul said, if any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even of the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and of the doctrine, which is to godliness, he's proud, knowing nothing, doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. 
But godliness with contentment is great gain. He's telling Timothy, listen, there are people like that who think when you got a lot of money, boy, you got, you must be godly. When you got it all together, you must have it. You must be godly. But there's people who, who are struggling through things who are closer to God than, than people who've got it all together ever will be, some of them. It ain't about what somebody's got. It's not how somebody's social status. It's not about who, who's who's done the best in life. No, you can have, listen, you can you can have little or nothing and have more in Jesus than everybody else in this world. Verse 15 in our text. For though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have you not many fathers? For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Said, listen. You may have all the teachers in the world, but I'm the one that led you to Jesus. I'm the one who came to your town. I'm the one that brought Christ to you. I'm the one that God sent down there. I'm the one who was brokenhearted for you. I'm the one that loved you enough to tell you when nobody else would. Don't turn to these people who are telling you lies and trying to trying to give you some social gospel that won't save anybody. No, like Jeremiah said, stand in the ways and see and ask for the old path where there's a good way, and walk therein, and you shall find rest for your souls. Like a dad to his children, Paul's pleading with his spiritual children. He said in verse 16, Wherefore I beseech you, I beg you, be you followers of me. Now understand when Paul said be you followers of me, he's not saying follow me and do everything that I do because Everything Paul did wasn't perfect, was it? In chapter 11, verse 1, he makes a similar statement. He says, be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Okay? So that's what he's saying. He's saying, you follow me as you watch me follow Jesus Christ. And he says the exact same thing in the next verse, really, because he says, when he tells them, be ye followers of me, he says, for this cause... Because I want you to be followers of me, have I sent unto you Timotheus. I sent Timothy down there, who's my beloved son. He calls him his son. He's his son in the faith. He said, which is faithful, and he's faithful to the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways which be in Christ. He's not going to come down and tell you everything that I do, but he's going to tell you how I serve God so that you're able to remember what I taught you when I was there as I teach everywhere. Not something special to them. He wasn't singling this church out. He wasn't picking on this church. He preached the same messages everywhere. Being a Christian is about loving and caring and sharing the gospel with other people. It's about sacrificing and giving. That's what being a Christian is all about. There's no room for pride or jealousy or envy. And by the way, there's no such thing as a superstar Christian. No. Only prideful ones. I've been around some prideful preachers. I hate to admit it, but I've been around some who were so full of themselves, if you poked them, they pop like a balloon. I mean, it's pretty shameful the way some of them are and the way some of them act. But I'm going to tell you, ain't none of us no better than the other one. All of us, all of us get dressed the same way. All of us stink when we sweat. All of us need to take a bath. Amen. Ain't none of us no better than the rest. I can assure you that. Verse 18, almost, we're almost there. Now some are are puffed up. That means they were full of pride, as though I would not come to you. They're down their mouth and running their mouth, talking trash about Paul. And he said, they're talking like I ain't never going to come back. He said, but I will come back shortly. I'm coming back. If the Lord will, 
If it's God's will, I'll be back. And I will know not to – he said, I'm, I'm not going to start and listen to them. I want to see what they can do. You can talk all day long, but where's the proof? Some of the loudest mouths were saying, Paul ain't coming back here. Paul was saying, like my daddy used to say, well, you just had to watch me. I'll be back. And by the way, it ain't about how fancy you can talk. It's about whether or not God is in what you're saying. I've been around some people that all oh, they just talk so fine, but they couldn't preach their way out of a wet paper bag. Amen? <clears throat> it ain't about, listen, it ain't about how many degrees you got after your name. It's about how much fire you got in you. It's about your temperature. Amen, not your degrees. Verse 20, for the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. It's in power. Paul said in Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Amen. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I saw it. I saw it Tuesday night have the power to take a man who's been breaking half the day. Hey, who, who was under deep under conviction. He brought him to that altar and put him on his knees. He got saved on the altar that night. Listen to me. He was he was, he was told us before he got up. He said, "I want you to know something." He said, "I played guitar in another church." That man, listen to me. Lost, going up there, presenting himself to be Christian. Playing guitar, playing worship songs in a church, and then going home and getting drunk and trying to live that life. Probably because somebody had invited him into that church, and he probably got in there. I don't know what the preacher said. He must not preach much of nothing because evidently he was able to lead worship and whatnot in a church. Lost as he could be. But I'm going to tell you, it didn't take nothing but old-fashioned Bible preaching. And the Holy Spirit of God put his finger right on his heart. He came and got saved that night. His name was Clint. Y'all pray for Clint. I'm going to remind you where we started, 1 Corinthians 3.1. Paul said, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. And he closes out this chapter with this. So what will you? What do you want me to do? What's your choice? Shall I come to you with a rod? Do you want me to come and take y'all behind the barn and wear you out when I get there? Because I can do that. I can take and, I can take a switch to you and wear you out with the gospel. I can promise you that. I, I'll bring the word of God and straighten you all out if you want to keep on talking bad and, and running down what God's doing and, 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 and trying to act like you all got it all figured out. You want to go ahead and be puffed up and be like the world? Just wait and see. I'll get there. I'll straighten you out. He said, but if you want to straighten yourselves out, I'll come in love and meekness. You know, that's the thing. God, God's that way, too. We can go on and just live like the Romans and be all about personal success and achievements and trying to look better than other people and trying to seem better and feel like we're better than other people and get caught up in this world and the rat race and all that. You know what? We can do that. And you know where that leads to? That leads to depression. It leads to anxiety. It leads to hurt feelings. It leads to all kinds of unhappiness. Or we can turn our life over to God 
we could take a morning just like this right now. I know it's just barely afternoon, just barely past 12, but we could take a time right like right now here in just a few moments as we sing a song of invitation in just a moment. And you know what? You could come down to an old-fashioned altar like this and get on your knees before God and say to him, God, I've been, I've been taking what's yours for far too long. I've been taking what's yours, and I've been stealing it from you. I've been a thief with my own life, taking what it's not mine. You bought it. You paid for it with your own blood. And I've been stealing what belongs to you and taking it and using it for my own my own devices and my own ways and treating it in ways that you would never treat it. And Lord, I want to confess it to you and repent and ask you, Lord, to take me and do something with my life. If you do that today, I promise you that today will be the first day of the best part of your life. If you give it to God, I promise you, you'll never regret letting God have you. God will never mistreat you. He'll never mislead you. And can I say to you this morning, listen, there are a million people out here who want to try to tell you things other than what the Word says. We live in a day and time where, there's, where everybody thinks there's some kind of a spiritual leader. Get in the Word of God and shut the business out and listen to what God has to say. Get in church. Get in an old-fashioned church and get in the Bible and listen to what God has to say and follow Him. And you'll never have to apologize to them. Let's stand together. God's sitting through this up. If there's decisions that need to be made in your life, they ain't no sense in waiting around about it. We ain't guaranteed another day. I hate to think I thought about I thought about making a decision for God in church. And then I didn't do it. And then the Lord came back and I had no time to live a minute for Jesus. Right now, if God's dealing with you, right now if he's speaking to your heart, do business with him right now. Put it off the way. Do it right now today. Father in heaven, Lord, I just Lift up, Lord, the service, Lord, everything that's been said and done to you. And, Father God, I pray, Lord, that you'll work in this invitation. Lord, that you'll draw folks to the altar. And, Father God, I pray the decisions be made for you. Father, please, I pray you do what I cannot do. Father, speak to hearts now, and we'll give you the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. 155 is what we're going to say. 155.